What on earth is Climate Mayhem? I'm glad you asked. One day, Ty Wolf Jones and I were talking about some of the biggest, hairiest problems on earth and came up with a hypothesis we wanted to test. If you believe in climate change, the only way we'll get past these massive environmental problems is if for-profit companies get involved. In other words, we've spent hundreds of years getting into this mess. We'll need to spend billions, maybe trillions getting out of it. Therefore, companies need to make money in order for someone to spend it. Then we asked, can we speak with a dozen or so companies in different verticals of climate tech who are making it part of their mission to be climate conscious and making big bucks while doing it? Well, we did just that. Thus, Climate Mayhem was born. So follow Jacob Kubica and I along as we listen to some incredible stories to test this hypothesis. Oh, and are you an entrepreneur about to get into this space? You will definitely learn something from these extremely impressive founders and operators of just how possible it is to take on a seemingly impossible task. Mayhem on, Jacob. Mayhem on, Ty. Reeves Clippard is co-founder and CEO of Anor Solar, the highest rated and most prolific solar installation company in the Pacific Northwest. Aside from being an early mover in the space, starting in the mid-2000s, they are employee-owned and have the greatest ride-or-die customer base you've ever seen that rave about them online. I dare you, go look online. 15 years in, they've blown all of their goals out of the water, and they've actually seen the industry change and ebb around them as they've grown. So Ty, why should people be excited about this episode? Yeah, I was insistent that we get Reeves on this show for exactly what you said, which is he has definitely seen this industry grow, change from the early days, from working on solar to building his own company today. He knows what the ins and outs of this industry is, what's going on and what we probably need to do next. And he's built, like you said, these amazing customers by building an employee-first company. So not only do his customers rave about him, but his employees rave about him. Super impressive individual, super impressive company. Definitely think you're going to learn a lot from this one. He's really fun to listen to. He's got, he's got a lot of soul, pun intended. We'll dive deep into, what's a solar coaster? Do we need to prop up the solar roof industry with government subsidies like we have the past 15 years? And then finally, is there that much appetite for buying solar panels? Find out today and join our conversation with Reeves Clippard on Climate Mayhem. Mayhem on! Mayhem on! Hey, Reeves. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I thought we'd start the conversation off with uh, where you come from. What brought you here from it was the Blue Ridge Mountains? That's in North Carolina. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. I actually grew up all over the South, born in Virginia, South Carolina, Texas. I moved back to North Carolina in high school, graduated from Appalachian State there, and spent a few more years before coming out West. My pat answer is usually telling people manifest destiny. And, and what that is for me is just kind of a shortcut of, I just, I was drawn westward. I'd lived in very rural environments in North Carolina, the suburbs in Texas. I'd never lived in a city. I was young, looking for kind of adventure. Uh, my, ha- my family has a tendency to wander in our early adult life. We call it our walkabout. Go nice. find ourselves in our place in the world. And so this was kind of my, my, the start of my walkabout was heading to Colorado to, to learn about solar and then moved to Seattle 
and set roots down here. And yeah, it's a gorgeous place. I get to stay in the mountains, but now I get to have the ocean close by too. So you grew up all over the South. How come you grew up all over the South? We just, we moved on average about every two years. Uh, okay. We were not a military family. My mom grew up moving about every nine months. And so I just say that it was a little bit of a habit. You know, there's okay. always a reason <laughs> around housing or a job or something like that, but it's just what we did. And then when I moved out here, three months after I moved here, I met the woman who became my wife. And after we had been together for about two years, I said, all right, where are we going? She's like, no, no, I don't do that. So <laughs> she's from the Northwest. Nice. She grew up in North Idaho. Her mom still lives in the house that she grew up in. And so I've, I've set down those roots and, and nice. tried to li- live, get that same throw by just traveling, not packing up there my house go. and moving every two years. Yeah. Right, right. You can find adventure in different ways. Exactly. In entrepreneurship. It sounds like uh, adventure is, you could say, a cultural value of your family. Like moving around is, it is always an adventure, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, it's it's tough for, for young kids. My brothers did not have the same experiences I did at just being older. You know, they kind of, we moved during natural transitions for them, middle school to high school, elementary school to middle school. I went to two elementary schools, two middle schools and four high schools. Wow. And so, yeah. So in that, there's always this moment of, you know, am I going to reinvent myself? I was always a very introverted kid. The moving was actually quite hard on me, uh, but I always had that excitement of, hey, maybe I maybe I get to be someone else this next time. Maybe I'll I'll find someone, uh, find something new. Usually wasn't. I'm usually pretty true to myself, but there is always that kind of like, well, what's next? It's still quite common in my life these days. Discovering new corners and crannies of yourself that you're like, okay, I want to dig into that in this new city, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You you end up with a very different perception of place when you travel. And I think to myself, could I live here? You know, could I drive down? Could I go around this corner a thousand times and feel like this is home? It's fun. interesting. Yeah, it's, it is fun. Uh, it's interesting about a, a house, uh, given what Anner Solar does that like I had recently bought this house in Olympic Hills and I was talking to my therapist and he was like, oh, how are you making your place yours? And I was like, well, how have you made your new office yours? And he's like, well, I'm, I, I took a page out of your book and you said, you know, it's it's a blank slate and whatever you put into it is the character that you put into it. So really you could, you kind of bring yourself and you bring yourself to a place where that's a home or a new city and you kind of bring the energy, right? Maybe you felt kind of that way too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think for me to, to make my house, my home is, is hanging up some of the family pictures, hanging up, having a few of the items that we've always carried with us and, and displaying them and putting them there and making that connection back to where I came from. Um, but then creating new things as well. For sure. And I, I think the Northwest is really unique that way. And I, I think the Seattle freeze that we get criticized for so often is, is actually just, we're such a young city. We're such a young region that a lot of people are, and we have so many people coming in that we don't have a common story yet. Right. Like, you know, I grew up in places where pe- families had been there for 200 years here, like families don't have those same cultural norms of this is how you fit in. This is how you move in. These are, these are the traditions. This is where you always step in to help a neighbor, or this is where you allow them to have their privacy. So a lot of people just kind of struggle with what are our cultural norms? I'll just default to like waiting for someone else to take the lead, which is often no, no one takes the lead. (laughs) 
Yeah, compared to say, I love like Boston, that perspective. That's a really yeah. unique one. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. So an element in houses, bed, mattresses, how are selling mattresses and AR solar related? Okay, so you probably caught some of this from our, our history. Um, when we first started, uh, it was just Andy and myself, A and R, and we were really not getting paid. Luckily, our girlfriends and then our wives were willing to allow us to take the risk to start this company in the Pacific, in the Pacific Northwest and in Seattle of all places. And so we, we rarely got paid. We used to charge our customers to come out and evaluate their house for solar. It might be $200, might just be $50. And at the end of those site evaluations, Andy and I would just split the cash. And that was like his gas money to get home. That was like for me to, you know, just, just scrape by. And one of our first employees who is still with us today, um, Dave Cozen, when he came in, like, sure, we'll give you a job. But by the way, we, we can't pay you. We can't afford to pay you unless we have work. And so his side gig was selling mattresses out of a, a self-storage unit. Wow. So he had connections to the furniture industry and he could get, you know, discount mattresses and then would sell them on Craigslist. And so we would be in the middle of a job and he's like, guys, someone, someone wants a mattress. What do you want me to do? And we're like, go get paid. Like, we, <laughs> yeah. we want your free labor. Go do what you need to do to make rent. Um, and then, you know, come back and join us as soon as you can. I love it. Wow. Mattresses, they can be pretty high, high revenue, right? High pro- maybe maybe <laughs> yeah. high profit margin. My oh, understanding wow. of the furniture industry is that there's a lot of markup there. Okay. Wow. Uh, All right. Yeah. Similar to, from what I heard, bikes, like road and mountain and hybrid bikes, like markers can, can be up to 50 plus percent. Mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Okay. Very interesting. And there's, there's no more selling mattresses going on anymore. Not that I know of, no. <laughs> okay. It's harder. It's harder with purple and, and those ones too. They're just so, so, yep. dang, so dang good. Reeves, what's what's the, I saw this word thrown around a couple of times. What, what is the solar coaster? That is what we call our industry because there are so many ups and downs. There are loops. There are blind turns. Um, sometimes you're hanging by your feet. It's just an industry where... I just, you know, the brief history that I've been through in the solar coaster is we started in spring of 2007. In the fall of 2007, the construction industry started to crash. In the fall of 2008, the entire global economy (laughs) crashed. Yeah. Um, You know, we've had incentive programs come and go, manufacturers come and go. Just this year, we had um, LG, a global manufacturer, decide to leave the solar market suddenly. Whoa, that had wow. six months of our pipeline. They were one of our highest selling modules, six months of our pipeline. We no longer have materials for. There were wow. polysilicon shortages uh, because smartphones came along and it, they were similar production lines for um, conductor grade silicon and solar modules. And then there was a glut of material for a while. And then Germany, because we have a global supply chain, Germany would change their policy and all of the global supply chain would go to feed Germany's demand. And then we couldn't get modules. And so there's there's always these things happening. And then what happens so much in program design, especially through like utilities and, and government, is there's often, despite best efforts, very little transparency. So there were times when we would have a an incentive program that has a certain level of subscription and then it shuts off 
but we didn't know when that subscription was going to get hit or not. So you're, you're talking to customers and so like, I can't guarantee this. I can't promise this. You're talking to employees and saying, we're growing. This is going to be great. By the way, in two months, I don't know if we're going to be in business anymore. <laughs> we, you know, there's things like the most recently um, during the last administration, the Trump administration, the very first tariffs that were put in place were on solar panels and washing machines. But the way they were announced is the tariffs are coming, but it's like a, I think it was like a five month, six month process to decide what those tariffs were going to be. Oh, but God. all the risk was on the manufacturers. So as they brought product on shore, and this actually happened with the most recent round of uh, tariffs as well, is they might be hit with tariffs anywhere from zero to 250% of oh. the cost of the product. What? And that's manufacturer risk. They could change everything. Can wow. change everything. So then suddenly manufacturers in this latest round before um, the Biden administration put a, I guess, a moratorium on it. It might not be the right word. Manufacturers were literally turning around ships on the ocean to go to different markets. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, that's such a range. <laughs> it is <laughs> such you, a yeah. range. Yeah. I've that had a number crazy. of conversations with like other clean tech entrepreneurs and other businesses. Mm -hmm. And there's like, your business is crazy. It is always wow. something. And it is, but that's you know, not only do we have the solar coaster, but we have solar years, you know, like one year in the solar <laughs> industry is worth three in any other. Interesting. Yeah. Because yeah. it takes, yeah. You learn so much, have to go through so much. Yep. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Cycles of the cycles of the sun. Besides warm weather, how has climate change affected your life so far? I, I guess really what we're trying to is, when did you start thinking about these issues? That's a great question. I mean, how it's directly affected me so far, I, I don't know that I have an answer for that because these are sometimes slow moving, sometimes fast moving, and it's it's hard to connect the dots sometimes. But for me personally, like I have always been an environmentalist. You know, in seventh grade, we helped our school and then our neighborhood start the first recycling program which grew from there. And I was in environmental clubs and mainly for like picking my career, how I, how I ended up here is I, I went through school. I went through a four-year degree program, graduated with a degree in business, computer information systems, concentration, and Spanish. And the couple of jobs that I had out of school were kind of pure capitalism jobs, selling prepaid phone minutes for people who maybe should have been spending their money on food rather than technology. Yeah. Watching people make that choice of like, do I feed my child or do I buy a new cell phone? And then choosing the cell phone, you know, like it was just kind of soul crushing. And then moving into more of my IT business where I worked for a fast food franchisee, helping them streamline their data systems. And it's like, well, what is the success? What is my success measured by? more roast beef sandwiches getting sold, which is, <laughs> as we all know, like the, the cattle industry is awful for the environment. So it's like, why, why do yeah. I want to, why do I want to succeed at this? And then I worked for a mega corporate uh, manufacturer and one of their distribution warehouses supporting their IT systems. And the culture there was one, again, I had no connection to the, the benefits of what we were doing right? It was just kind of, you get paid, someone makes profit, and then stop questioning things. But just the way that people were treated there, there was a woman that I ate lunch with who had been there for 17 years and moved into kind of a lower level management position. And then there was a scenario that went down where ultimately she was left let go and no one ever said her name again. 
Wow. And it was like, wow. say her name. And, um, and then just seeing their pay grades that were associated with it, it's just like, why, why am I doing this? And I had that an opportunity in that job. I had a lot of free time because I was in a reactionary support role. And I started reading about renewables and a cousin told me about biodiesel. And I was just realizing that I was a really, I wasn't the best employee. I had never really held a job down for more than about six months, I think at that point. But I was absolutely fascinated by renewables and thought, you know what, like what I do know that I'm good at is I'm good at learning. I'm good at working with other people. And so how can I, I think it was at that time, I, I heard the statistic, true or not, but it's impacted me that we spend more than half our waking lives at work. And I thought, if I'm going to do that, like I, I'm not someone who can work to play. Like my work needs to have a purpose. And that's where that research was really driving me is like, well, how do I combine these things that are going to make it possible for me to have a career and be happy with it? And it, it led me to renewables. And amazingly, like I mentioned earlier, you know, just, I was just like introverted geek that just spent a lot of time in front of computers. So of course you should have a computer degree. And of course you should go into computers. And then I was like, you know, I think I want to go into construction. I want to build things. And my family was like, what the hell is wrong with you? You've like <laughs> never done anything like this in your life. But I went and got this education and it gave me the opportunities to do some hands-on things and, and gave me the confidence to say, no, I can do this. I can work in the trades and there's a place for someone like me in the trades. And um, yeah, so I studied renewables and eventually, you know, started A&R Solar after working in the solar industry for another solar contractor here locally. So that's the kind of long story short of um, how environmentalism like drove me to where I'm at today. You did do solar panel installation too, right? For a period of time for Puget Sound Solar. That's exactly right. Yeah. Was so that the education? I no, so I, I got an internship at um, Solar Energy International in Colorado, and they're just a phenomenal nonprofit that does these like kind of one week, two week hands on trainings around renewables. And so I did their internship. I went back to working in kitchens just to support myself and just learned a lot of the hands on skills, the design skills, the things that I needed to know. You know, that, that was an important turning point for me when I was working that last corporate job that allowed me to leave is I, I had this dream. We're very clearly, very lucidly in this dream. I was back washing dishes. I worked in kitchens for like nine years through college and after, and those were all the jobs that I mostly had. And I thought to myself, like, I would rather be washing dishes than sitting at my desk at my corporate job. And it was at that moment where it was like, you know what? I can wash dishes anywhere in the world. Like that gives yeah. me a huge <laughs> amount of freedom to explore any and every other career that's out there. And so when I went to Colorado, I was working, you know, back to washing dishes, uh, but I got to learn, just meet the most amazing people. And back then the solar industry, like you might actually know everybody in the industry. It was, it was pretty small. And from there, while I was there, I was looking around at where I wanted to live, maybe DC, maybe Berkeley, maybe Seattle. And I started soliciting people and saying, Hey, I'm doing this education. Can I get a job with you? Like, well, you know, we'll see whatever. And Jeremy Smithson of Puget Sound Solar was one of the people that I kept bothering. And my roommate from North Carolina had moved to Seattle. We had planned on coming out here together. And so ultimately I did this massive road trip across the U S after my education landed here and Jeremy reached out and offered me an opportunity. In my interview with him, he's like, where do you want to be in five years? Classic interview question. I said, I yep. want to be a competitor. 
And so, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's it's actually where I met Andy and oh. was on the job site working for Jeremy. And we worked there for about a year, a little over a year before we parted ways. Still friends with Jeremy. They're, they're still doing phenomenal work, but it was obvious that, you know, we, we weren't a good match for each other. But when we started A&R and left, we subcontracted them for some time. Because what we didn't want to, we were his only crew and we didn't want to leave them high and dry, right? Like one of the attitudes that we put to A&R that we learned after that, or maybe we learned from Jeremy is that, you know, we want to grow an industry, not just a company. Like there's a lot of benefit to us helping grow the marketplace than just saying, Hey, this, we're going to be insular and we're just going to do our own thing and keep all of our secrets to ourselves. It's interesting because everything you're talking about does just smell of a, a startup industry, not just a startup. And, but you, you kind of said some things in there, like this startup, the solar coaster has been going longer I would argue than a lot of other industries. These those turbulent times. These other ones seem to like like your your friends have said. Like they seem to be starting to work out some sort of smooth plateaus here and there. Um, the solar industry maybe not so much yet. Um, so pretty wild ride. But you brought it up a couple times. So let's talk about the actual start of A and R. You you guys meet each other. Talk us through like how did this get started? How did you actually make the decision and make the leap? That's a great question. And I, I think both Andy and I probably have different stories and I'll remember what I can. You know, I kind of have this hindsight of being able to tell this story after the fact rather than as it's going. But yeah, I, you know, before going to Solar Energy International, um, I had saved up some money from that corporate job, um, which, which is not much for rural North Carolina, but I took some time off and did a lot of soul searching. And part of that soul searching was around entrepreneurship. And so I thought, like, if I'm if I'm industry being an employee, maybe I could be a better employer. I at least have a lot of examples of what not to do. Um, <laughs> and so I think Andy and I just talking on talking on job sites, working through frustrations, and what can we do to help. And you know, I don't know that we engaged with our boss at the time. Said, you know, I know we we communicated some frustration, but probably not as clearly as we could have. Maybe didn't take on the same same responsibilities that we had to for ourselves uh, at the time, but you know we just continued to get help. My my dad was an entrepreneur, kind of helped me think through what it would take to build a business. Got some resources from like small business administration, some coaching, things like that. And you know I don't know when it was with my dad, but at some point he's like, you know, you gotta shit or get off the pot. Like you gotta you gotta do something, right? Like you're you're talking about paralysis through analysis. Is like, right. you either need to do this or not. And yeah. at the time, um, let's see, we started 2007. So I guess Ashley and I were actually engaged at that point and had scheduled our wedding for later in 2007. And we kind of had this sweet spot where she was like, she was starting her career as a physical therapist. And she's like, you know, like, this is our time, right? We want to have kids in a few years. We got to get through this. And, and Andy and his wife were in a similar situation. He was engaged, about to get married, no kids yet. He's like, we this is the time for us to be risky. And so that's what we did. We incorporated um, as a escort from a tax advice from a tax accountant. And early on too, and a lot of those conversations were kind of philosophical things about what employment is, right? Andy comes from a, being a union um, plumber pipe fitter background and just from upstate New York, very different work experience than my own. And we were really intrigued by the idea of employee ownership. 
and employees having the opportunity to benefit from their own work beyond just an exchange of paychecks. And there was a great book that came out at the time, and I, I know I still have it on one of my shelves, which is called The Companies We Keep uh, by a phenomenal company, South Mountain Company, out of Martha's Vineyard, who I still know those people today. And that was a, a good model for thinking through how you might be able to engage with your, your employees in a, in a different and more healthy and holistic way than just a kind of straight capitalist play. It's interesting. I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs. I've talked to a lot of people. Heck, I talk to a lot of, you know, managers who are just people managers. And it's always rare for fine folks that start, you know, think about the their their team or their employee first a lot of times. But I, th- I would say it's probably even exceedingly rare to find a startup thinking a bit about that model before the kind of the business model, if you will, um, is how do we do this for better for employees? But I saw it all over your website. I saw it all over, your, you know, your videos and blogs. And, and it obviously is something, you know, super important to you. But on the other side of that, what was the, let's say, gap in the market, the the solution when you go, we're going to do this? You, you know, you had told Puget Sound Solar, you want to be a competitor, but you also said, I want to build this industry. So on the business side of things, what was the gap you guys were solving or the place you were fitting in into the industry? I don't know that we really thought about it that much at the time. You're right. Yeah, we part of our philosophy around employee thinking employees first, and you can see it on our website as one of our first principle, people first, was that if we could take care of the employee, the employee is in a better place to perform good work, which takes care of the customer, which then is a virtual cycle because then the business is being taken care of. And so just from a personal need, we, we wanted to operate that way from a business. We thought, Hey, solar is going to be, it's not huge now, right? Like we were just starting to see, I don't even know that there were, you know, 10 grid tied PV systems in all of Washington at the time, maybe there were, but there were just a handful of companies focused on this. And we said, you know, there's room, there's room for us. And there's going to be a really bright future in distributed renewables. Like we we can see that writing on the wall. I think we just took kind of a classic approach of, you know, there's like five competitors. Some people are focusing on this technology or that technology, but mainly everyone's just trying to find work. And, you know, we we saw this opportunity where we we didn't need to be the low cost provider. And we knew that there was, and that to do a certain level of quality, we would need to charge more. And we didn't want to be the highest cost. And so, hey, can we figure out some way to kind of fit in the middle where we're just providing the best value we can, which includes a competitive price? And that's just really where we aimed for. And then what we started finding is that we we really focused on quality, uh, quality of installation. Our, our early marketing was we wanted to market to general contractors. We thought that was going to be the place because they would recognize the quality of our work. And that was really driven by Andy of just bringing his background into doing, you know, just really high quality installations. Because often a, a homeowner's experience is, did you make it like, did you show up on time? And did you make a mess? Um, but <laughs> right. they're not going to understand maybe the level of craftsmanship that we bring to our installation. And so we wanted to go to general contractors because they would recognize what quality we were bringing. But then, as I mentioned, the construction industry crashed and a lot of our general contractors <laughs> left the market. So... But we we continue to think about that foundation, which is any contractor can say their quality, but it's how are you defining that? And what's what you know, and we still kind of struggle with that. Like, how are we defining quality? 
when our sales are saying, we're the highest quality you're going to get. Well, what do you mean by that? And a lot of it is customer experience. And are you delivering on the promise of solar? Like we're telling you this system is going to be good for 30 years, maybe 50 years. Are we taking on the right practices across the company to deliver on that promise? Wow. Right. Nice. And so that comes back into that first principle, people first. And can we yeah. take care of employees? Are they well-trained? Are they well taken care of? Because we didn't want somebody up on the roof dealing with at the time it was solar hot water, not solar electric, not PV. But we didn't want somebody thinking like, can I pay rent? Like, can I get healthcare? Like, can I go to the doctor because I have an issue? And their mind's not on this potentially dangerous job in front of them of, you know, working with open flames or pipes or electricity and we wanted them to be able to focus on, hey, I'm taking care of at work so I can take care of you. Build a culture around that. Ty, you have a great quality story, right? Because you actually work. Oh, yeah, yeah. Solar. So I'm a customer. I'm an AR <laughs> customer and it def- definitely have a great, great quality. So a couple of them, actually. I mean, you guys absolutely, I think, prioritize service. One of your guys, when they were installing the system, actually saw a kind of a, a rafter piece or something on my roof that was just a little bit, you know, kind of soft and had been hit by the rain for a long time. It was on that side of the house and he didn't like it. And so he just replaced it. <laughs> he just fixed it before he finished the system. And he just said later, he's just like, just so you know, there was this piece of wood. It was a little, it was rotted. It was going out. Like it wasn't good. I just, I just built a whole new corner over here for you. And that was just part of the service. And then I, you know, I want to say some point into the, into the system, I've had the system for a few years now, and I got a call from one of your guys that was like, so we're having an error on one of the systems that's on the side of your house. And I needed just replace this thing. And I was like, wait, what? Okay. What, what is that? You know? And he's like, no, that's just what we do. And he just came out and replaced it in a handful of hours while I was working from home. And done fixed nothing no charges it was just fixed it was part of the services i was like wow this is this is amazing so no it's it's evident and then jacob you know pointed out earlier when he was doing research on you guys like some of the best google reviews that you can see in the industry on online which is uh I mean, that's a feat, right? We know how online trolls love to <laughs> hit everybody for anything these days, man. If they can complain, they will. So your your ratings are second to none. Yeah, thanks. Well, and what I love, if you go through and, and read some of the um, very poor reviews, it's often people who we said, no, solar is not good for you. Oh, um, interesting. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, no, I absolutely want to go solar. I'm like, it really doesn't make sense. You, you're not getting enough sun. Your roof is too old. Like, we really recommend that you take energy efficiency measures or find a community solar plant to to participate in they don't typically like that so especially for for some true believers and for me the mark of a good contractor and it goes to the people that i hire to work on my own house is it's not the lack of mistakes it's owning up to the mistake and coming with a solution as soon as possible, mm. right? Because the earlier you find yeah. a mistake and start talking about it, the more solutions you have to. But if you wait until the last minute, the customer's like, hey, wait a second, you damaged right. that thing. Well, now you end up in these like where it looks like maybe a contractor is concealing something or trying to get uh-huh. away with something. And what else is it that you've done that we can't see? And so much of our work is not visible to the customer. It's in a wall, it's under the panels, something like that. Uh, it really takes, I think, some being humble, some modesty to let somebody know, hey, I noticed this thing, I took care of it, and I just want you to know. Because you're right, like it could come in 
and bite you in the rear online somewhere. And yeah, there's a real fear in businesses for online reviews these days. I know, right? Exactly. Like that's what they say. Like give it, give anybody the chance to to say something, which the internet does, and everybody and people say something, <laughs> but they typically say ten negative things to one positive. So right, hey, yeah, yeah. No, your your online reviews are are uh, are pretty impressive. So okay. and I love this. I mean, everything you guys speak is people first, and and it obviously comes through, and it's and it's helped you build you know, a 15 plus year business in this industry. But I I have to admit, one of the reasons I was excited to have you on is because of your tenure in this industry and in this space of green businesses. You know, I think it's rare these days. There's a lot of startups. There's a lot of people tackling a lot of problems when it comes to climate change, but it's rare these days to meet people like you who have been doing this for, for as long as you have um, and in the retail part of this, the, the business, right? Which is you're there with the customers, both businesses and consumers. Um, so I'd love to dig in a tiny bit, at least about what you have seen. You, know, you talked about the solar coaster, um, but really over the past 15 years, what have you seen happen? I think what the consumer sees is these government programs, the up, you know, like, oh, we're going to get a tax rebate. Oh, we're not going to get a tax. Oh, we're this. And it's interesting the way it colors the consumer's perception of this industry. But as you've already alluded to, that's not everything that's happened in this industry. Broad question, but can you walk us through a little bit of the learnings of this industry, where, what's, what you're seeing, what you've seen, good and bad, that, that you want to call out um, in this space over the last 15 years? Yeah, that's wow. That's a great question. We'll see. I'll see if I can provide a valuable yeah. answer. I mean, I think one one thing I want to acknowledge as I start this answer is that you know we do focus on people first. I want the listeners to know that we are far from perfect, and there have been a lot of missteps on our part in trying to figure out how to do this, and we continue to learn. And a lot of that, I think, is maybe to the point of your question of. Um, people change, expectations change, and you know every business ultimately is beholden to what what's happening in the market. And I think some of the early customers that we had, I would call true believers, right? Like there was not a financial payback for going solar. They were people who were willing to take a risk for what they felt was right. They wanted to do environmental good, and they were people of means um, and and could take on that financial risk of a new technology, new companies, uh, new programs. And some of the things that have changed is just really the way that climate and energy has entered the kind of mainstream um, brain, I guess I will call it. And I think an example of that is like when I was at SEI in Colorado, when I left, I gave notice at my job. And when I had my going away party with all my friends, they're like, what are you doing again? Solar energy? Like what is, what is solar? What is this thing? And while I was there, this was 2005. That's when Time Magazine came out with their end of oil cover. Wow. And so when I came back before moving out West, suddenly, you know, I'm at the next party, but everyone had an opinion about what's going on right. with end of oil and what's going on with climate change and, and everything else. Wow. And we see some of the same thing with our customers where, you know, some people want independence. Some people just want to be green. Some people are just looking for financial motivation, but it's often some combination of those three. But we have customers who are better informed, better technically informed. I I did a survey of our our salespeople kind of went on a road trip before COVID hit a year before. And it was just like, how, how are things changing? Like I'm not out 
sitting at the kitchen table anymore. Tell me about how customers are changing. And before, like we used to, you know, a lot of the growing the industry kind of, uh, of activities were solar one-on-one classes at libraries and community centers, <laughs> and, Interesting. You know, energy nights, where it's like, yeah. you put a solar panel in the sun, you tie it back into the grid and you send, pa- you know, it's just like some very basics. And now our customers are like, well, what panels are you using and what is their source? And can you tell us about the supply chain? What inverters are you using? Is it this technology or that technology? just more financially savvy uh, folks, people who, and maybe like some early segments for us were baby boomers who were about to retire. And so we had a certain level of comfort with technology and discomfort with other kinds of technology. They wanted a certain kind of experience. And then our other customers were young, what do we call them in the Northwest? Like Henry's high income, um, not rich yet. And so, but it was people who were just starting their families and said, right. like, when we have kids in the house, we want them to see the solar panels on the roof. We want them to see, oh, wow. we want them to see the EV car and the driveway. Like we want them to see us living a lifestyle that supports a sustainable earth. And so, but then as, as things have changed, like we, we have a broad range of customers now that again, kind of fall into those categories of independence and making sure that they're spending their money wisely and, and doing something good for the environment. But now they're asking things about like, what are your business practices, right? You hear about this, talk about with millennials and Gen Z of, you know, how are you treating your people? Wow. How are you treating your, your greater, you know, it's my responsibility as a business owner, not to just be in control of what's happening within my company, right? But like, what's kind of like the next tier out? Like, how am I handling, how am I dealing with my suppliers and my distributors and who am I doing business with? Wow. Um, who are they doing business with? And so there are stories that people want to hear. And, but we need to be able to back them up because we live in the internet age and people are able to go out and look at reviews look and up. look at sure. um, sources say, oh, you, you have this B Corp certification. What does that, tell me what that means and why that's important to me. And so now we are one of the highest priced providers in the market. And our, our story around that is like, you know, this is what it takes to be able to deliver on, you know, what the, on the promise of solar, that it's not just about getting you clean energy. It's about our big business practices that allow you to get there. And the way that we treat our employees, make sure that again, like that we're, we have a sustainable workforce and that they're being trained for the future and that we're not treating people or suppliers or distributors as disposable right? Sustainability is really about that longevity of a system. And so just a lot of awareness around that and, and what kind of things you, you support as a corporate entity versus a personal entity. Yeah. Whoa, what a blast. What'd you think so far? Are you hungry for more? Go check out part two of this conversation. But before you go, Could you do us a huge favor and subscribe to the show wherever you're listening to it right now? It'd mean the world to us. Oh, and if you're feeling a little frisky and you want to give us some feedback, go to climatemayhem.com where you'll find our contact link. See you soon. 